How we doing, family? Everybody good? All right, let's do Bible, man. Let's do Bible stuff. Hey, real quick, if you're new here, just so you have some context, we are in 1 Corinthians, right? And so this letter written by this guy, Paul, this pastor, uh, to a church that he planted uh, that's really fractured and really messed up. And before we get into the text, we're going to start in, in verse 17 of, of chapter 11, just so you understand, family, where, where we're going to be. Uh, I want to first take a little survey poll, a uh, little interactive part of, of the sermon today. Uh, how many of you ever have those moments uh, where, where you uh, do something incredibly dumb and just totally humiliate yourself. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Like some of you are really good at this. I know you. Um, and and I, I had a moment like that this week. Okay, to kind of tell you about it. Uh, I think it was, I believe it was uh, Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. Doesn't matter. Um, I'm on my way home from, from work, right? And so I get to the neighborhood where I live and I'm driving to my house and driving down the streets to my house and and as I'm going down one of the roads, I look over and standing on the curb, I see, I see this guy, right? I see this guy standing there holding a baby. He's standing right there. And immediately I, I thought to myself, hey, that's Brad. And I don't know if y'all know Brad Hillman, Brad and Karen, they're, they're covenant members here at the church. And, and I, I look over and go, hey, that's Brad. And it you know, totally makes sense for Brad to be in my neighborhood because he's got family that lives in the neighborhood and he's, he's there a lot. And so I'm like, hey, that's Brad. And so I, I, I got, you know, Brad's a good buddy of mine. So I, I'm in my car and I immediately like jerk the wheel over, right, real fast towards this guy. And, and then I slam on the brakes right in front of him and I roll my window down. I hit the button, roll my windows coming down and I'm looking at him. And I'm like, that ain't Brad. <laughs> and the guy's looking at me with his baby, thinking I'm gonna snatch the baby or something. I don't know what he's thinking. And I just am staring at this guy, and I'm like, what do I do now that it's not Brad? And so I'm looking at him, he's looking at me, and I went and drove away. <laughs> That's all I did. I'm like, what in the world, dude? What, what just happened? Who knows what this guy's thinking, man? This guy's looking, what, what, what just happened, right? And, and here's, here's the thing, family. Um, this, this, actually, this actually reminds us of a really important principle, right? And it's a principle that we all understand. It's a principle that we all know is true. And it's this right here, family. Not everything is always the way that it appears, right? I mean, we, we know this. We know that looks can tend to be very deceiving. Not everything is always the way that it appears. And, and just so you know, family, this is exactly what brings us to the last half of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right? Because here's what's gonna go down. We're, we're gonna get into the last half of this chapter and we're gonna see, family, that, that the Apostle Paul is about to show these people in the city of Corinth that not everything in their church is actually the way that they think it is. Looks have become incredibly deceiving to these people. And Paul's about to show them, man, not everything is the way that you actually think it is in your church. And let me show you what I'm talking about, family. We're gonna, we're gonna dive in here, start in verse 17 and go all the way to the end to, to, to verse 34. And before we do, just kind of a reminder, okay? This is really important as we're reading Corinthians to understand this. And we've talked about this now for some weeks, but, but we're in this portion of this letter that Paul's writing where Paul is, he's, he's answering questions that the people in this church have, have written to him, right? So we don't have access to that letter. We don't know all the questions they asked and we don't know all the ways that they worded the questions and, and everything, but we do know that they asked specific questions. We do know they were really confused about stuff and so they're like, man, we need Pastor Paul to talk to us. We need Pastor Paul's advice and wisdom. So they write Paul a letter and now Paul is at the point in his letter where he's addressing 
all of the questions that they had. And, and apparently, in their previous letter, at some point, they had, they had told Paul, informed Paul about what things were like in their church. Hey, I man, here's how things go. And when we get together, here's what's going down. And as you're about to see, uh, Pastor Paul obviously does not like what he hears, okay? And so this is the part where Paul's addressing all that. So just so you understand, it has some context. Look at verse 17. Watch how Paul starts his family. Verse 17 of chapter 11 says this. Paul says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, we need, to, we need to call a timeout right here, and we need to think about how crazy that statement in and of itself is, family. Think about, think about how nuts this is, that, that Pastor Paul literally just said to these people, he said, hey, guess what? First of all, let me tell you all this. When y'all get together for worship on Sundays, it's like a dumpster fire of nightmares, like it would be better, it, it's not even for the better, it's for the worse. Like you do damage by doing church. Like, like it would be better for you and for the world for you to sleep in. Just hang out at the house. Like, like cause, you, cause you gotta know, when you get together for church, you're bumming God out. Like, like God sees you going to church on Sundays and he's like, oh, here we go again. Oh no, oh no, but it could stop, Right? Now, 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 this brings up an obvious question, and the obvious question that we have to ask at this point is, why would Paul say something like that? I mean, that's so salty, right? I mean, that's such a big deal. Like, like why, would Paul, why would Paul say that it's that bad, that it's that bad, that when you get together for church, it's actually, it's actually worse, it's, it's, it's not good? Why, why would Paul feel compelled to tell these people, dude, when y'all get together for worship, it, it's a total bummer, total bummer? Well, he's about to tell us why he says that, why he says that when they get together for church, it's actually worse than, than better. Look at what he says in verse 18, family. Check this out. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. Wow. Paul's like, hey guys, guess what? Uh, your church stinks because you're all so divided, like every time you come together, it's just a fractured bunch of relationships, man. This guy's not talking to that guy. That lady is ghosting that lady. This dude's angry at him, and this, this lady just defriended her and then called her out on the right. I mean, it's just like every time you get together, it's just relational drama, unresolved issues, Petty disagreements, right? It's, it's, like, it's like a middle school conference is what it is, right? And everybody's just all this relational junk that nobody's figuring out and nobody's sitting down and going, hey, we're family. Maybe we should talk about this. You're all so divided. And meanwhile, guess what? Meanwhile, the rest of the world is laughing at the church. Rest of the world looks at a divided, fractured fight in church and says, man, they say they have a message of hope for the world. They can't even get along constantly fighting about politics and mask wearing and racial issues and what color carpet should be up in here. Like, like they get a message of hope for the world. Look at those, look at those people. And just so you know, family, this actually brings us to the very first point for today. And the first point is this, for those of you copious note takers, jot this down. Number one, number one, God loves diversity, but God hates division. God loves diversity, but God hates division. See, see here's the reality, y'all. In every church, there ought to be diversity. And by the way, I'm not just talking racial diversity. I mean, that's included, but I'm not, I'm not only talking 
about racial diversity. I'm, I'm actually talking about everything, like the whole, every kind of diversity we can imagine that God would enjoy. I mean, think about this. Just so you know, family, in every church, I don't know if you notice this or not, but it's true. In every church, there's going to be a diversity of opinion. Welcome to planet Earth. In every church, there's a diversity of opinion. Listen, listen, the, if, you're, if you're in a church and there's not a diversity of opinion, I mean, I just tell you, you're not in a church, you're in a cult. Beware of the Kool-Aid, is all I'm saying. In every church, there's gonna be a diversity of opinion. I mean, I mean, that's just the way it is, beloved. Here's the reality. Not every Christian in the church and in your church is gonna agree on things like politics or sociological issues or geopolitical issues or economic issues. For crying out loud, not every Christian in the church is gonna even agree on what kind of car is the best kind of car or what kind of music is the best kind of music. Right? Or what color the carpet should be in the church. And you know what? You know what? Can I tell you something? It's totally okay to have different opinions. Family, listen to me. God is not freaked out by the diversity of opinion in the local church. I'm just telling you, family, here's the reality. Here's the reality. As long as your opinion does not conflict with the word of God, have your opinion. Have your opinion, man, because God loves diversity, but God hates division. He hates division. And can I tell you when division in the church always happens? Here's the reality. Here's when division in God's church always happens, beloved. Division in God's church happens when I begin to allow my own diverse opinion or preference to become more important to me than Jesus. Pay attention, watch it. When, di when division in the church happens, watch it. That's exactly what happened. At some point, someone allowed their own diverse opinion or preference to become more valuable to them than Jesus and, and, and unity in God's church in particular. It's always how division in the church happens. And, and tragically, beloved, even, even in the past year, we have seen so much division in God's church. It's stunning. It's been a stunning year to be in ministry, man. Can I just tell you, like, like, like some of y'all have seen it and you're not even like one of the pastors on the team. Like you've, you've seen it. Like there's been so much division in God's church. It's, it's almost, I, here's what's scary. It's almost now become a sport to let your diverse opinion become more important than Jesus. It's almost like in a sick way, fun to let your own opinion become more of a big deal than unity in God's church, than Jesus, than, than the gospel. It's, it's like people are walking around thinking to themselves, man, if you don't agree with me about politics, I'm out. If you don't agree with me about politics, I'm not just, I'm not just disagreeing with you, I'm out, I'm dipping. If you don't agree with me about who the president should be, I'm gone. If you don't agree with me about, about racial issues in America and particularly what should be done about them, if you, don't, if you don't agree with me on that, I'm out, I'm done. If you don't agree with me about COVID-19 or whether or not the church should be meeting in person right now, gathering in person or mask wearing or any of that stuff, I am done with you. And too many people, family, you know what's happened? Too many people are literally breaking fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ and divorcing their church family forever. All because not everybody had the same opinion that they had. 
And then what's tragic is, man, not everybody has the same opinion as you. And so then you leave and you're done. You just, I'm out. And then you begin to create this narrative of, yeah, I really got burned at that church. I really got burned at that church. I really got burned at that church. No, you didn't. You just, you just freaked out when everybody didn't have the same opinion as you. You didn't get burned. You got bitter. You got real bitter. When actually what we should be saying is, is instead of going, if you don't have the same opinion about me or that I do on this issue or that issue or this issue, what we should actually be saying is, hey, guess what? It's, if we don't have the same opinion about that stuff, that's fine. But you know what? As long as we can agree on Jesus, we're family. Matter of fact, here's the beauty. We can have diverse opinions on that stuff, but if we agree on Jesus, here's what we can do. We can even go to Starbucks and have a latte and a crescent roll and sit down at a table and we can talk about our differing opinions and maybe I could learn something from your opinion and maybe you could learn something from my opinion. And at the end of the day, we get up, we finish our lattes, we leave and we're still family. This is, notice what Paul says. Notice what this is about. Here's the foundation. Paul says, when you get together as a church, it does more harm than good. Why? Because you're so stinking divided. And then, and then verse 19, well, watch this. We'll start in 18. Let's just carry the thought. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and not believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. See, here's the deal, y'all. Divisions aren't totally bad as long as they result in some form of biblical resolution. It's not bad to have different opinions about stuff and to be real passionate about your opinion and all that stuff. Divisions aren't bad. It's just that they need to result in some sort of biblical resolution. Here, say it another way. You got to talk that junk out. This is what Christians do. You got you to just talk it out. You got to agree. You know what? You got to agree to disagree, but, but, but you have to agree to agree that no matter what you agree to disagree on, you're still going to love each other forever. Because this is what Christ commands. Welcome to biblical Christianity, where Jesus is more important than anything else. Incidentally, beloved, read the Bible, read the Gospels. This is exactly why Jesus says to us, love one another as I have loved you. He does not say, cancel one another as I have canceled you. He totally could say that, but he doesn't. Now look at verse 20. I'm gonna get off this soapbox and get on another one. Here we go. <laughs> May as well just fix this place. Let's go. Um, verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now it's at this moment where these people are probably think, what are you talking about, Paul? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's not the Lord's Supper we eat when we get together. Of course it is. I mean, we get together, there's bread, there's wine, there's a pastor, there's a verse, there's a song, there's a prayer. We, of course it's the Lord's Supper we eat. Paul's like, nope. No. Watch this, family. Look what he says in verse 21. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now, 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 now 
this, this requires some context, okay? So let me explain to you what, what, what's going on. This, this is really important, family, to, to, to get this, okay? First of all, you gotta understand, like in the early church, like church buildings weren't a thing, right? I mean, this, there was no this. And, I mean, so what happened is if you love Jesus, if you're part of the early church uh, in the first century, and particularly in Corinth, uh, you'd meet in somebody's house, right? You had 30 or 40 Christians who would all get together in a home, and what would happen is, is what they would do is they would, they would throw a huge, a, a huge meal that they actually called a love feast. You read about it in Jude chapter one, because there's only one chapter in Jude, Jude, Jude 1, 12. You, you read about this. It was called a love feast. They would all get together. They would, they would share this huge meal as, as, as an act of remembering the Last Supper. That's what it was about. And, and then at some point during the meal, they would participate in communion. What we know is communion. What we know is the Lord's Supper, right? They would do it at some point during, during the meal. Now, Here's where things went totally off the rail in, in Corinth. Here, here's where this thing became a total dumpster fire. So, so what would happen is the wealthy Christians who had a lot of free time because they had tons of money, they would show up at the love feast early. And so they would get there and they would, ultimately they would eat all the fish and all the bread and they'd get drunk on the Merlot and drink all that and, until there was nothing left at the end of the, the deal until there was just crumbs, that's all there was. But then eventually the poorer Christians, they would show up late, probably because they had to work to make a few shekels, right? And so, so they would show up to this thing late and by the time they got there, they'd be left with nothing at all to eat. And so now they're having to sit around, watch all these drunk, rich, obnoxious people tell a bunch of lame dad jokes, right? At the, at the, at the love feast. It's like First Baptist happy hour up in here, man. It's like Vegas church. I mean, these people are just gone, they've gone off the rails, totally. And the worst part about it was this, the worst part about it is that by doing this, they were refusing to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And by refusing to love their brothers and sisters in Christ, they were actually refusing to love Jesus. And see, beloved, here's the, this brings us to the second point. Okay, so jot this down. There's your second point right here. Number two, number two, Christianity is not about rituals. It's about relationships. Christianity is not about rituals. It's about relationships. This is why Paul says, you're not doing the Lord's Supper. Well, yeah, we are. We got all the elements here and all the stuff that we're supposed to have. Paul's like, no, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. See, see, family, the powerful point that Pastor Paul is actually making right here is this. The Lord's Supper is not just something we do with our hands. It's something we do with our hearts. So you had a meal. Are you getting right with God? Are you repenting of sin? Are you being honest about your struggles? Are you getting relationships right and squared away? Like, are you honoring Christ? I mean, see, you had a meal. But it's not about your hands, it's about your heart. And, and family, listen, can I just tell you this? And y'all know this is true. If we're not careful, beloved, there are these things that are meant to be acts of worship that can just slowly over time become really lame, stale rituals that we're doing with our hands and not our hearts, right? Church attendance can become like this. Singing a song on a Sunday morning, it could totally become like this. Just a stale ritual. Celebrating Christmas, celebrating Advent every single year can totally become like this. Just a stale thing we do. We don't engage it with our hearts. We don't really meditatively before the Lord go, Lord, what is the true meaning of this, right? Listening to a sermon can become like this. Reading your Bible can become like this. Giving an offering can become like this. I mean, if we're not careful, there are all these things that we're supposed, they're supposed to be about the heart, but we're only doing with our hands. Family, listen, God's after your heart, not just your hands. 
It's about the heart. And so now Paul says this, look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, now, now watch this, notice what Paul's doing here. Pa- Paul, Paul is reminding them in the midst of all their dysfunction and all the ver- their issues, Paul is reminding them of what this whole deal is supposed to be about. And who's it about? Jesus. Remember what I first delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And this is why I love Paul, because he is all about Jesus. Notice how Paul has dealt with every issue in this church so far in this letter. He always brings it back to Jesus. It ain't about self-help. It ain't about read the right book. It ain't about go get counseling at this place. It's, it's always Jesus, gospel, Jesus, gospel. This is why I love Paul. He's all about Jesus. Listen, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. When you show up here on Sundays, it's the same sermon. It's just different points. But it's the same sermon every Sunday. Jesus, 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 Jesus. You're all jacked and you need Jesus. And I'm probably the most jacked and I really need Jesus, right? That's the sermon. Every Sunday, well, that's what Paul's doing here. Paul's like, listen, the answer to your issues, the answer to your stuff and your dysfunction and all your relationship nightmare, all the answers, Jesus. Now watch what he said, look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of who, family? Me, Jesus, right? For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Family, please don't miss this. Listen, the, the, the powerful point that Paul's making right here is that when we get together as a church, there's a very specific reason why we're getting together as a church. And it's because we've been united in Jesus. He's the reason. Let me tell you something, like if you showed up here this morning and the reason you showed up here ain't Jesus, I mean, you, you, got, a, you got a problem. Like if church is your hobby, you got a lame hobby, man. You got a lame hobby. The reason why we gather together as a church family is because we have been united in Jesus. Think about this for a second. You know what's so crazy about the church? And I think about this all the time. I mean, almost... Maybe every single Sunday at some point this thought comes into my mind, but, but here's, the, here's the crazy thing to me about the church. And, and just for a second before I tell you, just, I just want you to look around at the room. Look around at the, the people. Just look, look at faces, okay? Here's the crazy thing to me about the church. You ever thought about this, family? The church is filled with people who under normal circumstances would never hang out. Right? Under normal circumstances, you wouldn't hang out with most of the people in this church. You'd be like, nope, you're too crazy. Nope. I mean, think about it. I mean, can we just be honest? Most of us don't have a whole lot in common. I think about my own missional community, for example. Just my own. So I'm in a missional community here at the MAS with some guys, some other men. <laughs> I was thinking about this this week. I'm in a missional community family with an insurance agent an avid camper and knife collector, a pharmaceutical guy, a kickboxing physical therapist who loves the movie Bloodsport, 
a farmer who butchers his own pigs on, on the regular, right? And then there's me. <laughs> I like old books and eating Cheetos at the glory of God and cop, cops reruns are my jam, right? I mean, this is, what do I bring? You kidding me, man? Think about how different we are. Think about it, y'all. And this is how Jesus chose the disciples too, right? You ever thought about that? Uh, I'll, take the, I'll take the religious zealot. I'll take the religious zealot and the tax collector. This should go well. Put them in a room with each other. I'll take, I'll take the fishermen, right? We just throw a bunch of ragtag people in a group and, and watch this thing. This is intentionally how Jesus does this. Think about it, family. Under normal circumstances, under what kind of circumstances do people like that come together? when the savior of the world unites them under the banner of Jesus. And incidentally, this, this brings us to the third point for today. And it says, family, jot this down. Number three, number three, God's church is supposed to be a bunch of very different people united under Jesus. That's what the church is supposed to be. Like if you're ever in church and you're looking around going, man, I don't have a whole lot in common with these folks. Here's what I would say. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Because here's what you have in common. Jesus. Jesus. I wonder, you ever thought about that word communion? You ever thought about, we say it all the time, we're gonna have communion here at Emmaus Church. We, do, we, we participate in communion every week, right? But you ever thought about the word communion? You know what the word communion literally means? Common union. It's in the word. Common Union, incidentally, and in addition, you know what the word community actually means? Common unity. Common unity, common union. See, see, family, listen, this is exactly why smack dab in the middle of calling these people out for their self-centered, immature divisiveness, Paul is what? He's intentionally reminding them about what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be about. Remember the family meal. Remember the family meal. Why do we do the family meal? Because we're a family. We're a family. It's about Jesus. It's about our common union in Christ, family. And when, you know what? When Jesus brings us together in common union, he teaches us to love one another. At least that's the way it should go down. He teaches us the law of love, right? Love the Lord your God by your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? This is the most important. Like, there is no commandment. Everything else, like, hinges on that stuff. He teaches us to love one another as we do life together and as we follow Jesus together. A whole bunch of people who, under normal circumstances, would never hang out. It's beautiful. The church is beautiful. You got the dorks and the weirdos and the band geeks and the jocks and the kickboxers and the knife collectors and the fashionistas and the soccer moms and the weird IT people all together. <laughs> Some of you are out there going, which ones are the dorks? <laughs> I ain't telling you. <laughs> Look at verse 27. Watch this. Paul says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now I want you to notice something here. 
Okay, don't want there to be any confusion. Notice again what he says in verse 27, this is a really big deal. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, an unworthy manner. He does not say don't participate in the Lord's Supper if you're an unworthy person, because guess what? We're all unworthy people. The issue is not whether or not you're an unworthy person, because the answer to that is yes, hence Jesus and the cross, right? The issue is not about being an unworthy person. It's about, it's about taking it in an unworthy manner. An unworthy manner, what does that mean? Well, well family, listen, the, the basic idea is this right here. The Lord's Supper is an intentional opportunity for me to take my sin seriously. The Lord's Supper is an intentional moment for me to repent of my sin, to turn from my sin, to be honest about my sin, or another way to say it would be this. Here's point number four. Point number four, check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> and I have always wanted to use that as a point in the sermon. I'm not kidding. It took 20 years to get to this moment. Yes. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. But, 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 but this, this, is really, this is really what's happening, man. I mean, I mean, follow this. The basic point that Paul's making right here is this. Whenever I participate in the Lord's Supper, I should intentionally remember why Jesus went to the cross for me. Listen, I, the Lord's Supper is not just about me remembering that Jesus went to the cross. Of course I should remember that Jesus went to the cross, but it is also a moment where I need to remember why Jesus went to the cross. Why'd he go? Why'd he go? Well, because of my sin. Because of your sin. Which means sin's a really big deal. Because Jesus had to die for sin. And so when I remember during the Lord's Supper why Jesus went to that cross for me, in doing that, it should move me, like the Spirit's grace should move me to take my sin seriously. And so I should confess my sin and I should repent of my sin and I should run away from my sin. And, and Paul says right here, if I don't, I'm mocking the Lord's Supper. which according to our boy, Pastor Paul, uh, God takes very seriously. He's like, matter of fact, that's why some of y'all did, got sick. I mean, this is, this is, it's a heavy thought, family. Th think of it this way. Um, this, this past, this, I think it was Tuesday, I, I, left, I was leaving the church and uh, as I'm driving to the road, I see the, the, uh, the battery light in my car comes on the dash, the battery, which I've never seen this light come on ever before. The battery light's there and it's red. And I'm thinking, well, that, that can't be a good thing. It's, pro it's probably not telling me, hey, sweet battery, awesome, right? It's probably bad. And so I'm like, what do I do? And so I'm like, well, I, I didn't know what to do. So I called Jared, Jared Beck, our, our director of operations. I'm like, man, he's director of operations. Maybe he can fix it. Um, just with his words. I don't know why I called him. Um, I, th I, th I thought I knew a couple things about cars. And so I called Jared immediately and I'm like, uh, hey bro, I got a question for you. He uh, said, I'm like the battery light in my car just came on. What does that mean? <laughs> he said, well, I don't know, but I can Google it. <laughs> why are you calling me? <laughs> I'm like, okay, Google it. So he starts, I can hear him typing, right? And then as he's typing, at some point I hear him say, uh-oh. <laughs> well, that can't be good. I mean, what does uh-oh mean? He said, like, well, according to the internet, you know, it could be maybe that your battery's real low, but most likely what it is is your alternator is gonna go out and, and, and it's, it's, it's about to go out, which means that um, you, in the next few minutes, like probably your lights are gonna start flashing and your radio's gonna go nuts. And you're gonna feel like you're in a Stephen King movie and all of a sudden you're gonna be dead on the side of the road, your car's just gonna be done. And so I'm like, oh man, well, great, awesome. 
wonderful way to end the year, right? That's what I was thinking. I was thinking that light came on and it was like my car's way of saying, hey, uh, there's one thing that you've been able to rely on uh, this year and it's been me. <laughs> the year's not over, chump, right? <laughs> like, you've got to be kidding me. And so I'm like, why well, don't we be stranded on the side of the road? So I drive to the mechanics, right? I drive immediately to the shop and I walk in and I'm like, uh, hey, uh, I, my battery light came on. Uh, some smart guy on Google told me it might be my alternator, right? It's like, I, I, think, I think my alternator's out and going out. I was like, how much uh, for a new alternator? I'm gonna leave it here. How much is it gonna cost? Yeah, about 500 bucks. All right, here's the keys. I'm walking out the door. He's like, Merry Christmas. I'm like, it will be for you. Well, here's the point, family. Think about this. In much the same way that a warning light in my car indicates I should probably pay attention to something. I should probably take something very seriously, right? In much the same way that that's why that warning light is there. Family, listen, the Lord's Supper is meant to draw my attention to my sin. This is why it's a good thing to participate in weekly, right? As, as long as we get together, right, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the early church, every time they got together, they did this, right? Why? Because it's this moment where we're, we're to take our sin seriously and be honest about our sin and we turn from our sin and that's how we grow and that's how we, that's how we progress in our relationship with God, that process of sanctification, right? And so consequently, I, I better take it seriously. It's this powerful, sacred, holy moment where Jesus is calling me away from the bondage of sin back into the freedom that he offers in the gospel. And so I should, it's a big deal. I, I take it seriously. Now, verse 31, check this out, family. Verse 31. <laughs> Paul says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Uh-oh, there's that J word. The evil, wicked J word that in our culture has kind of become a cuss word, right? Can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody, well, you know, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't judge. Eh, wrong. Wrong. Read the Bible. Actually, we're told to judge. Actually, as Christians, we are supposed to judge. It's just that we're supposed to start by judging ourselves. That's where it starts. I mean, read the Bible, man. You, you, you were supposed to judge. You're just supposed to start by judging yourself. And another, uh, here's, here's a point. Just jot this down real quick. Fifth point. Judgment is not a bad word. I just want you to understand Judgment is not a bad word, but let me be clear. The Bible commands us, those of us who love Jesus, know Jesus, walk with Jesus, want to take Jesus really seriously because he shed his blood for us. He died on a cross for us, right? The Bible commands us to judge. Look, look at verse 31 again. Let me read this again. Just so we're clear. He says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What's Paul saying? Pa Paul's point is this. We are all going to be judged. It's inevitable. We're all going to be judged. Now listen, you're either gonna be judged by you or you're gonna be judged by Jesus. But there has to be judgment. There has to be this moment where, where our sin is dealt with and where our sin is taken seriously. We're, we're gonna be judged. See, but see, our problem is this. Can we be honest? Our problem is we don't like to judge our own sins. We like to judge everybody else's. That's more fun, ain't it? Right? Can we just be honest? Like, man, I don't want to judge my sin. That's really uncomfortable, but I will judge theirs all day long. 
And so we make sport of it, judging everybody else's sins. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the culture. I mean, this has been a thing in our culture all year long, man. Something happens, if I can demonize somebody else, I don't have to deal with the demon in me. If I can just blast everybody out there for all their sin and all their indiscrepancies and all their issues and all their stuff, I never have to talk about my own, right? And so this is why it's so appealing for me just to protest everybody else. I just wanna protest everybody else. When am I gonna start protesting me? Like I might need to make me a sign and stand on the corner and be like, I'm bitter, unforgiving, I don't tithe, I'm greedy, I gossip, right? When, when are we gonna start with ourselves by protesting ourselves? We don't like judging our own sin. We like judging everybody else's sins. But family, listen, Jesus clearly tells us in the gospels, listen, hey, before you even start obsessing over that little splinter in your sister's eye, why don't you deal with the telephone pole sticking out your own? Why don't you, why don't you start judging you Instead of trying to make sport judging everybody else and never having to deal with your own stuff. This is a big deal. Now look at verse 33, family. Watch what happens. So then, my brothers, hmm. so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give directions when I come. I want to point something out. I want, you, I, want you, I want you to see real quickly what Paul did not say here. He didn't say, he didn't say if you come together. He said when you come together. He said, he said twice, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together, and this actually brings us to our final point for today, uh, which is this right here, family. Number six, number six, coming together as a local church matters to God. And I want to be real careful here. I want to be real sensitive. But I also just want to be faithful. I, I understand. I totally get 100% that there are legitimately some people in our church who frankly don't need to be here right now because of the health risks that they have and, 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 and the issues that they have with their physical health. And so I get it, 100%. We, we love those folks and we're supporting those folks everywhere we can. It's the reason we put together that webpage that uh, Pastor Travis showed you earlier with all the resources and who to contact. We wanna be real clear for our stay-at-home crew who legitimately shouldn't be here right now uh, about how to stay connected with their church and, and, and how they can be ministered to and resource and everything else. So, so I understand that, I understand that. That being said, can I also say this though? Mental health matters too. Spiritual health matters too. Emotional health matters too. We, we ain't been talking a lot about that stuff, right? We, we talk a whole lot about physical health, physical health, physical health, and I get it, physical health matters, but mental health matters, spiritual health matters, and emotional health matters. I mean, haven't we seen this? Are we seeing this right now in our culture, in our context where we're at? Family, listen. Did you know that so far in 2020, 48,344 people have died of suicide during the pandemic? Now, here's, a, here's, here's the crazy thing. Did you know that during the pandemic alone, 1.4 million people have attempted suicide? 
Did you know, beloved, there have been 1,451 suicides in the state of Georgia alone during the pandemic. Did you know, beloved, that divorce rates are skyrocketing right now like never before? Did you know that also abuse, both physical and emotional abuse, is skyrocketing right now? I I read a statistic this week that said crisis hotlines have experienced an increase in volume up to 891%. 891% during the pandemic. Did you know, I read this in the news this week, did you know that uh, drug overdoses have increased over 100% during the pandemic? Did you know, beloved, that according to the most recent uh, stats, 48% of churchgoers nationwide have completely disengaged from all church engagement during the pandemic? 48%. And to top it all off, family, scientific studies literally, like, they show, they clearly show that having a faith community, a faith community, a faith common unity radically increases your mental health. Radically increases it. And it increases your hopefulness, too. Having a faith community, a common unity, like, that's, that's real. I don't know if you saw this this week, the Gallup organization came out, with a, came out with a survey, a study, a poll in the past few days. Literally, it came out this week and they, they went and they asked people about their mental health. It was a mental health study, a mental health survey by Gallup. Gallup, not, not a Christian deal, right? They went, they asked all these people, how's your mental health? Has your mental health gotten worse? Has your mental health gotten better during COVID? Did you know, family, they, they put people in all kinds of different categories. The only people in that survey who said that during the pandemic, their mental health has gotten gotten better and improved were people who attend church weekly. The only ones. And so I'm just kind of done. I'm just kind of done but because, because nobody's, nobody's talking about any of that. And I'm just sort of done, man. Instead, what's happening about, instead of people talking about that, there's, there's all this talk out there about how churches that are choosing to gather right now in person are being accused, they're being accused by some, being accused by some pastors even of not loving people. If you, if you meet in person right now, if you're gathering in person, you, you clearly don't love people. Actually, man, I read the studies. Maybe the entire reason we are gathering weekly is because we do love people. All, all I'm saying is this. All I'm saying is this. It is important that the people of Jesus, united in Jesus, come together in our common union under Jesus to worship the only one in this universe who even has the power to bring an end to this pandemic. So this matters. Let's pray together, family. And we're gonna have this moment where we participate in communion, our common union, the family meal, this love feast. We take the bread, we take the cup, we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior who adores us, who's crazy about us, who gave it all to save us, to redeem us. He doesn't cancel us. He loves us. He pursues us. And so we want to have this moment where it's, uh, 
somewhat of a reverent, somber moment where, where we take some stuff seriously. We're grieved over sin, grieved over our rebellion. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you even, you're like, I, don't, I can't really think of any way, maybe right now at this moment where I'm rebelling against the Lord or resisting the Lord. Maybe you just need to pray that prayer of David in Psalm 51 where it's like, see if there's any unclean way in me, Lord. See if there, show me, show me. And we have a moment where we confess our sins to the Lord and we run to him for strength. His never-ending well of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And we drink from that well. We take the bread, we eat it, remembering Jesus on the cross. We take the cup, we drink it, remembering Jesus on the cross. But not only do we remember that Jesus went to the cross, we remember why Jesus went to that cross. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching today, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, he's a great God and Savior. I wanna encourage you today, I'm gonna cry out for you today. Say yes to Jesus. Stop trusting in your own self, stop trusting in your own power, your own gifts, your own morality, quote, unquote. Accept the fact that you're a sinner who desperately needs Christ. Run to him. Believe that he is who he says he is the Son of God and the Savior, to all who will trust in him and believe in him. And so, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we run to you right now remembering that this is all about you. This is your church. We're, we're, the, we're the sheep of, of your pasture, Lord. You are that good shepherd. And Lord, I pray that we would always know the voice of our shepherd, that we would always follow the voice of our shepherd, Lord. Thank you that you take such good care of us. Thank you that even, even during a, a global pandemic, Lord, the flock that's, that's able to be here each week and the flock that's, that's at home and, and watching this from afar, Lord, you, you, you've kept us engaged. And I pray right now, Lord, I pray for unity in your church, Big C Church, but I pray for unity in this Little C Church. I pray for unity. Will we be a family united in Jesus, a common union? Would we as Christians talk stuff out and care more about you, Jesus, than we care about the things, the, the opinions that we have that, that are in disagreement, Lord. We treasure you more than anything else. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're so patient with us. Thank you that you're a God who seeks reconciliation with people who don't deserve it. I pray, Lord Jesus, that during this time of worship, during this time of reflection and remembering communion and singing, I pray right now that we would be deeply grateful, deeply grateful for your gospel. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all these things through your matchless name, Lord. Amen.